Welcome back to The Francisca Show, where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I'm Francisca, a singer, composer, and also your host. And just before we begin the show, I'd like to thank our sponsors. ShopDrop is an iPhone app that lists every sample sale in New York. So if you want to buy designer clothes without breaking the bank, go to your iPhone and download the ShopDrop app today. Today we have with us Esther Suikova, born in Russia, raised in Switzerland, and currently living in Israel. A successful visual artist who has discovered her talent just under two years ago. Welcome, Esther. It is so nice to have you here. I know English is not your first language, so thank you for bearing with us here. Hi, and thank you so much. It's really nice to be here today. I'm very excited. We're so excited. You've mentioned this is your first interview in English. Congratulations to you for a first. Hopefully thank there you. will be many, many more. So I've seen your gorgeous, interesting paintings on Facebook, and my mother also has them in her apartment. Um, and I was sure that you went to art school growing up in Russia. However, looking at your bio here, you have everything but art going on in your life. Could you just tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like? Well, Take in the beginning of my way, I never considered the possibility of being a professional artist. I was born in Russia, in a small town in the Moscow region, and moved to Moscow when I was 14. And in spite of the fact I painted extensively and loved it and enjoyed it, my education has nothing to do with my hobbies. As many Russian and Jewish kids in Russia, I studied art for a common development, mostly the history of arts, and I even graduated from uh, music school, majoring in piano and vocal. But when I had to choose um, my future profession, the university, I followed the path of most of my friends and classmates and chose to become a lawyer. So studying arts wasn't so much in trend, and I was only 16 and had no clear idea what I want to do in my life. Um, most of my family members made careers in journalism, in politics, political science. So I had uh, totally different examples leading me in uh, this definite direction. Also, my biggest dream since I was seven years old was to live in Eretz Israel to make Aliyah. And the university I chose, it was the University of International Relations, Mgimo. And it had a wonderful department of Middle Eastern Studies. So when I came there for the first time, I saw a poster on the wall with Jerusalem. And I decided it was a sign that I should study exactly here. And actually, I never regretted. I had a wonderful time there, succeeded to study Hebrew, traveled to Israel in a framework of diplomatic internship, met a lot of interesting people, and even started studying for my second BA in political science. So you said yes. you had a diplomatic internship. Does that mean yes. your parents have diplomatic positions? Uh, no, it was just part of my studying program. Uh, as I said, it was the University of International Relations, and they were preparing diplomats. So they organized for us such a nice uh, two-week trip uh, with uh, studying in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And uh, so it was my first uh, visit to Israel, actually. What was growing up in Switzerland like or living in different cities and countries? We traveled a lot with my parents. Switzerland was not the only location. Uh, and um, But we spent there, almost every year we spent there a few months. 
And um, I always traveled there for my birthday. I always traveled when I had uh, a holiday at school. And it was very nice. I enjoyed it. Uh, I love traveling, and um, except Switzerland, I visited a lot of countries. I visited France, I visited Italy, Germany, all Scandinavia. So we were very busy moving from one place to another. So you lived in Zurich for a year? Yes. So do you speak uh, German? Uh, I speak German, uh, not so good, because now I don't have a lot of practice, but I understand. And I speak Yiddish, I understand a little bit French. I had many languages, also part of my education. Okay, so you are a classic, educated Russian prodigy. <laughs> Something like this. Okay, and okay. I never thought about being an artist. Then, then it was a period of my life uh, between graduation and my first job that I had a lot of free time. And my mother suggested that I should um, uh, make a painting for her, for her living room. And I painted for her a flower. She loved it, ordered for it a beautiful red frame. And that's how it all started. And in the very beginning, I painted for each room in our house, then for all my friends and just to have fun. And meanwhile, I started to work in Moscow in the very beginning as a lawyer in a private corporation, then in the rabbinical court. So I had many jobs. And uh, then when I was 21, my father passed away and it became for me very hard to stay there and live the same life I had. And I felt now it's uh, time to fulfill our dream and uh, to go to Israel. So I prepared all, prepared all the documents and... Um, uh, it was a period of my life that I didn't even want to touch a brush and to paint. Uh, it was total art block. Uh, but finally, I moved to Jerusalem, went there alone while the rest of my family stayed in Russia. And in Jerusalem, the first thing, one of the first things I started to investigate was uh, where I can find, find canvas and colors and brushes. And so I continued painting there. My first painting here was a building of the Belter Shul. It was a view from my window and very beautiful and inspiring place. The shul that you made the paintings for, that was in Israel already, right? Yes, it was already in Israel. It was after a few years I spent here. Uh, I started to work uh, in a um, Jerusalem-based organization, Shava Israel. Well, speaking of that shul, you had your exhibit there? Uh, the shul is located in uh, Ramot, Ramot Gimel just next to my house uh, and um, it was very interesting project um, uh, i created a series of acrylic paintings devoted to 12 tribes of israel was this your idea or did they they turned to me i started at the time i already started to place um, place my artworks in the internet on my website on facebook and they turned to me and uh, asked if i'm interested in this project so i decided to try and in the very beginning, I created 12 big paintings of Shifte uh, Israel, the tribes of Israel. And then one more very large painting that is called The Gates of Prayer. And uh, I was given only this name of my future artwork. And uh, it was up to me to decide what I want to do, how I want to paint it. Paint it. So I had to make a big research work. And it took me about a year to complete all this project. And uh, then I presented all these pieces at my sole exhibition in Jerusalem that was also organized by the community. So it seems like you had a lot of support from your local community and you know they've reached out to you, they helped you host the solo exhibition. And then tell us about how you got this grant. Uh, this grant I also get uh, by advice of my friends. They told me about such an opportunity 
and uh, just um, uh, found, found out a bit more about it. I turned to the Ministry of Absorption and um, followed their instructions. They, they may make a special meeting with uh, different artists, uh, people of art, and um, they make a decision. Well, congratulations on that. Thank so you. your political career also led you to an extremely interesting position that you have right now in Israel. Let's talk a little bit about that. I know it doesn't have so much to do with art, but I feel like that side of you definitely is expressed in your art. And I'd love to hear. I heard a little bit here and there during your meeting on Sukkot. And I think it's truly fascinating what you're doing in this organization called Shavei Israel. It is indeed very exciting and very interesting work that we do here. Uh, so this is an organization that works with uh, different distant Jewish communities uh, like Bnei Menashe in India, Bnei Anusim in South America, Spain and Portugal, uh, supporting Jews in Russia, Kaifeng Jews of China and uh, many others. Uh, and um, I work there as a director of Russian and uh, Eastern Europe Department. Uh, that uh, exactly works with the Subotniks uh, in Russia, Ukraine, and former Soviet Union. So I read some articles about our activity and our work with different uh, communities in other countries. Could you uh, explain to our listeners who Subotniks are? The Subotnik Jews is a very special Jewish community. Um, in fact, it's uh, a lot of uh, small groups of people, small communities that are located uh, in the territory of uh, former Soviet Union. Uh, especially in the south of Russia. Uh, and um, they are um, descendants of Russian peasants who converted to Judaism uh, centuries ago and kept Jewish tradition d- during all this time. And how many of them? Here in Israel we have uh, a few hundreds of them, uh, those who already made Aliyah. Uh, and also in Russia we have, um, I think, uh, a number of thousands of people like this. What does the organization you work for do for them? Uh, we organize for them different activities uh, here in uh, Israel for those who already made Aliyah and uh, some something for those who still stay in Russia and are waiting for this opportunity. Uh, we publish for them uh, different uh, different materials, uh, Jewish materials about Jewish tradition and uh, so on. We organize meetings for them. Uh, sometimes different Tiulim uh, travels here in uh, in Jerusalem. Sometimes we send to them rabbis to support them and to teach them to also help help them uh, from the point of uh, making aliyah, making documents, preparing uh, all necessary documents required by the uh, the Ministry of Interior. And that must be very difficult because they were a group of converted Jews that never assimilated into mainstream communities. Of course, it's very difficult and very special style of life they had. They had to be a bit of isolated from uh, non-Jewish um, people living now uh, in all the uh, in this region, in all the cities uh, around them. So your life has been extremely interesting and definitely different from what uh, the typical artist I bumped into. Could you tell me more about? how your life has influenced your art. I know you mentioned your father passing. I'm so sorry about that. I can't imagine that not affecting your art as well. Uh, Well, of course, all the events in my life that you mentioned, they influenced me in some uh, definite way. Uh, But uh, actually, that's why I never wanted the art to be my only profession, uh, because I think uh, making only art, it uh, limits it a little bit. 
But while working in other places, meeting new people, getting new experience, uh, you all the time learn something different, something new. And it uh, influences uh, the things you do. It influences your art and gives inspiration and motivation to move forward. What are your goals for the future? I don't have some uh, global goals that I can imagine in all the details. Making plans is just not my strongest skill. Uh, but of course, I want to develop what I have now and find uh, commercial use of my artworks and uh, let more people know what I'm doing. I have many of ideas that I want to express by painting. And uh, in my artworks, I'm just trying to find uh, a good combination of uh, Jewish tradition and some uh, modern ideas and concepts from world culture and uh, united all in a nice and inspiring way. And I think it's very important to appreciate beauty and to apprehend the participation of the creator in each moment of our lives and in the world around us. And that's what I'm trying to do through my paintings. And of course, uh, all the things I do in some extent way, they, um, uh, they make, uh, they find reflection in my artworks. For example, my work in Shabbat Israel with uh, all these uh, lost and hidden Jews and uh, lost tribes. I use this experience while painting uh, 12 tribes of Israel. For example, uh, the, the Shevet of Menashe, um, the tribe of Menashe, I uh, turned to some ideas I got from uh, working with Bnei Menashe of India. And uh, I have many examples like this. So you really go to work to create inspiration for your art. And it's, it's intertwined and you do both because you need both. And you can't just focus on one thing. You need to keep doing and, and being active so you have inspiration for your art. I don't know if this is obvious or I was, we're supposed to expect or not, but were you raised re religious and observant? Or is that something you chose to do and found on your own as an adult? I was born in an observant family. But when we say observant and mean Russian reality, it's important to understand that we're speaking about different styles that we can see in Europe and in America. Uh, my great-grandparents were observant uh, from family uh, with a Hasidish background. Uh, my grandparents, unfortunately, were not. They grew up in a communist country and lost their parents in the war or as a result of political repression under Stalin's regime. So they were very far from Jewish tradition and uh, they don't really like to speak about the experience. But anyway, part of them were Yiddish speakers. And my parents got seriously interested in Judaism when they decided to get married. But it wasn't an accepted practice to speak about it openly in uh, Soviet Russia, so they kept it in secret. Uh, but my father was le learning a lot and buying books abroad by traveling, bringing them. Then we started to travel together, so my first visits to shul took place in different European countries. And besides this, we led Jewish style of life at home and were rather distant from Russian families around us. We kept Shabbos, ate kosher food, uh, were able, we were able to get them. And then I just continued what my parents started. In the town I lived, uh, Jewish school never existed. So all Jewish education I received at home from my parents and from the books. Uh, but I was uh, very lucky never to study on Shabbos. It was real siyat edishmaya, because every year the teachers were threatening us that we will study Shabbos. But the whole class, all the parents, non-Jewish parents were against because nobody wanted to study six days a week. So it never happened, and I had my bonuses. That's fascinating. So I had no idea about this upbringing you had. So you said you worked for the Jewish community that I grew up in. Could you tell me what you did in the, in the Russian Jewish community? It also was a very nice, very wonderful period of my life. 
I was the secretary of uh, the rabbinical court, and I was uh, secretary of uh, Rabbi Pinchas Goldschmidt, the chief rabbi of Moscow. My father, uh, so anyone out there. Your father. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very, very nice period of my life. I really enjoyed working with the community and do- doing all the things I did. And it really helped me in all uh, the jobs I have afterwards. It was very challenging. It was very new for me, the whole style of work, the whole things I had to do. But now it's, it's really helping me in my life. Yeah, it sounds like one graduated into the next because the rabbinical court in Moscow deals a lot with proving Judaism, helping people with Aliyah, getting their Jewish documents. Yes, exactly, exactly. And we are in touch with uh, Rabbi Goldschmidt and with the uh, uh, Jewish community of Russia all the time. So as a lawyer, and you say goals is not a part of your way, just action and movement is the way you flow. And you told me that you started selling some of your art. Can you tell me about how the business end of this is working? And you did mention you're trying to figure out a way to monetize and go forward. So I'm sure you're not just speaking out of thin air. You have something to show for it. So we'd really love to learn what, you, what you've been doing. Well, I'm not sure there is a lot of uh, things to learn from me in this field because I'm absolutely new here and just trying to discover this, uh, this field, this market. Uh, but... Um, um, usually people just find me through my website mm, via internet, Facebook, or uh, some uh, some mutual friends. And that's how it works. Some, one person tells to another one and uh, the information spreads away. What type of clients do you currently have? Are they synagogues or per- private people? Uh, both. Uh, the biggest project I had done up to now, it's um, this uh, Yadrama community in Ramot Gimel and uh, certain paintings for them. But also I have some private people here from the community, my neighbors, my friends. And so sometimes it just happens unexpectedly. I go somewhere, I meet a person, and he says he wants to buy a picture. He's looking for a picture. I just give him a link to my website. And if he is interested, he just chooses something from there. Wow. Many people knew about me from uh, from this exhibition. We also produced uh, two two small movies where I can speak about my paintings. One is in Hebrew, one is in English. And of course, in Russian, with Russian translation. So many people just saw these movies in the internet and turned to me. Congratulations. That's really amazing. I'm so happy it's taking off for you. Congratulations on your new website that you just put together. And your Facebook and Instagram does have a lot of engagement and content. You've mentioned that neighbors come to you or friends ask you to paint. Is it easier for you to just draw a price? Do you give away paintings for free to promote the art? How how do you work it right now? And what's your balance with um, giving away or charging? And how do you feel about charging people you know? Um, I feel wonderful. You know, sometimes I just uh, want to, to make a present for a person for his birthday or for some special event. And I bring a painting. It makes me even easier to choose uh, what to give to people for some special occasions. And many of my friends have my paintings at home. But I'm saying when you said neighbors come to you and ask you for paintings, do you charge them for it? Do you ask them to pay? Or do you do it as gifts always? Mm, depends uh, what kind of relations I have with these uh, people. For some people, I can give it as a gift. For some people, not. Uh, depends how close they are to me. Uh-huh. So you don't accept money from people you're close with? 
because for me, my art has been fully supported by the people closest to me. You know, the closer you are, the more it costs you. <laughs> because, no, your art is a bit, a bit different. You know, music is something very different from, from paintings. Well, it was so nice having you on this podcast. You definitely rank up there with achieving success in everything you do, in your studies, in your work, and your art as well. And you don't even have that top of the line as a goal for yourself you're just going at full speed and seeing where your life is going to take i want to wish you a blessing may all your talents lead you to amazing incredible things clearly you're giving back to the jewish community you're taking care of the lost tribes you're helping them find their way back to the jewish nation to israel oh man thank you so much if you'd like to follow esther you can go on to Facebook, Esther Surikova. Esther is with a T-H-E-R. It's same with Instagram. And if you'd like to check her out on her website, it's www.esthersurikova.com. She has gorgeous art. You can make direct orders or you can buy some of her existing work. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed this experience. If you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to leave us a review. Subscribe and share this show with people you think may also enjoy it. See you next time.